Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's Inside Clemson Football with Devon Kirkland and Will Vandervoort. Coming up, Clemson is once again ACC champions. The Tigers won their sixth consecutive ACC championship last Saturday as they pummeled Notre Dame to avenge their only loss of the 2020 season. Now the Tigers get set to play Ohio State in the college football playoff. Me and LeVon will break down what happened in the ACC championship game and preview the Sugar Bowl matchup between the Tigers and the Buckeyes. We will also go over the matchup between Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. But before we do all of that, the college football bowl season is in motion and the NFL season is winding down as well as playoff races are heating up in both the NFC and the AFC. How will you put your money on this weekend? If you do plan to put some money down on bowl or NFL games, you need to go check out the action at Bet Online. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, LeVon, Merry Christmas, buddy. Um... Man, I can't believe it's already Christmas time and we're talking about the postseason here, but wanted to wish you and yours a Merry Christmas. Well, thanks, Will. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, it's an unbelievable time of the year, uh, time for reflecting and time for giving. And I'm, my daughter is probably looking forward to Christmas more so than most people. So, uh, yeah, I can't believe it's gone by so quickly this season. I can't either, man. It's it's been fun though, man. We've had fun doing this podcast. This is uh you know, I think episode 13, 14 or something like that for us. It's uh yeah. been been going smooth. Um, you know, we're the good thing is Avon Clemson season may end here in a few weeks or whatever, you know, when the season's over uh, on January eleventh, we hope, right? Um, but me and you won't be. <laughs> we'll no. we'll continue to talk Clemson football all throughout the offseason and we've got some other things we're going to have planned to do with, uh, with other people coming on and joining us. And we actually may have a special guest, um, for the, uh, uh, matchup with Ohio state here in a few weeks. Um, so oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Somebody that's requested yeah. to join us. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes here in a few weeks, but, uh, as we get closer to the sugar bowl, but man, first of all, I wanted to send my condolences to you, buddy. Um, you know, uh, Steeler nation lost a great one this week and you lost a great friend. And um, Kevin Green, who left us way too soon, so I just wanted to, you know, say my condolences to you and and um, you know and, and the rest of your teammates um, because he was a guy that, from hearing stories that you've already shared on this podcast about him, and then hearing other stories from his other teammates, man, what a great guy! And and and, and so our thoughts and prayers go out to him and his uh, his wife and two children. Yeah, well, thank you so much for those kind words, Will. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Kevin was a great guy great athlete and really we grew to be great friends even after our time at Pittsburgh was up we still kept in contact we still text each other and he always would tell me that he loved me at the very end of our conversations or our texts so yeah losing Kevin was a shocker I really feel for his wife Tara and his two children and what they must be going through right now, especially on top of the pandemic and also during this time of year. And especially when it's so sudden, like it was, it's, it's always heartbreaking. So you pray for them. But Kevin 
was full of energy. He was a joy to play with, man. I was privileged and honored to be in that group that I was in and be with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But yeah, me and Kevin, we had a lot of little inside jokes, man. And he was uh, an amazing athlete to be with. And, um, you know, I just hope he rests in peace. Well, well, you know, um, you talked about, I think he played three years with you in Pittsburgh, right? And um, right. Uh, what, what are some memories, great memories you have? Because that's when the nickname Blitzburg came yeah. about was with you guys and right. uh and so and, and so you kevin green obviously uh greg lloyd uh you know you had carnell lake on that team rod woodson uh just a man just think about that team i get excited uh because you guys are so good on on the defensive side of the ball but what's some good stories you had with <laughs> kevin green during that time you know kevin man was a lot of fun probably some of the best stories was him and greg lloyd used to wear these bumblebee type of tights like you know how you wore under your shirt, under your shorts and they would always try to get me and chad brown to wear but me and chad was significantly younger mm-hmm. and not quite that confident in our bodies that we were going to wear something that tight uh we also did a photo shoot and it, it, we were supposed to be the intimidators and everybody else had a really cool nickname, but my nickname wasn't that cool. It was Bait. So we had Quiver and Quake, Snake, and I was Bait. And I'm like, okay, I understand that we're trying to rhyme everything, but this is totally ridiculous. And just a lot of times, we, you know, in the film room that we would have, man, just kind of cutting up. And back then, the linebackers, we would watch film by ourselves after – practice was over with so before people started watching film after practice we kind of did that and that was one of the things that I was really grateful to Kevin was that Kevin pulled me to the side and said hey man we're gonna we're gonna watch film we're gonna study our opponents and I was a young guy in my second year didn't really know how to watch film as well as Kevin did but he kind of showed me how to break things down how to watch my opponents and that was a, a great gift that he gave us. But a funny story that <laughs> that re- will happen like a, after we're in coaching, and he showed he sends me a clip. And the first clip is against Buffalo, and we make this tremendous play. I mean, every the the whole pattern of the defense fit. And then he showed me one when I sat. I had my first sack against the Saints. I sat the quarterback. He scoops it up. He doesn't score, but he scoops it up. Okay, so the next the next clip that he shows me, Cincinnati is running the reverse to our left side. So I read it, he reads it, and we're kind of straightening it out. But Kevin's supposed to stay on the outside, but he came on the inside, and we both collided, <laughs> and we hit each other so hard. But on the film <laughs> – I'm looking at Kevin like, what in the hell are you doing? And he just had like the biggest laugh because it was kind of a, a blooper reel. reel. <laughs> so, yeah, that's this kind of some of the stuff. And then just him and Greg used to get on the jug machine and shoot, and shoot footballs at people as they're <laughs> walking down the hill in Latrobe. And I think one time they got Coach Kyra, man. It was so funny because Coach Kyra was really upset. And then he saw the two guys do it and he kind of laughed it off. 
But that was one of the funniest things. So there's so many stories. But yeah, Kevin was a wonderful man. He really was. Uh, did did the uh, so were they intentionally trying to get Coach Cow or just yeah. having Coach? <laughs> yes, they intentionally tried to get us. I mean, they would try to get anybody that was coming down the hill. But I guess one day they got Bill, and it was it was hilarious. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great story, man. And so you played with Kevin. Let me see if I'm right on this. 93, 94, 95, Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, y'all went to Super Bowl thirty together, correct? Is that right? right correct. Yes. So what what was that like going? Because you know he was the guy that wanted to always play in the Super Bowl too. He played for the Rams for a long time before he went to Pittsburgh, and you know, so what was that like for him? Because you mentioned he him and Greg were the older players, more of the veterans on that unit. What was it like for those guys to experience that? Um, you know, and for you guys to get them there to, so they can experience the Super Bowl. I was it was wonderful because for Kevin, he grew his hair long. You know, he said he wasn't going to cut it off until we got to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So he grew that thing for, uh, I guess, like two years. But it really worked for him because it's kind of a great PR thing with him with the flowing, long, blonde hair, kind of the sack master. But, yeah, it was great for him. But one of the cool things that we did was, you know, I guess WCW Wrestling really wanted to get Kevin involved. And so they had a private a private jet uh, come get him to go to Las Vegas. We were in Phoenix at the time. And, you know, he asked me, he's like, hey, Kirk, going to this wrestling event, you want to come? I'm like, yeah, man. He said, we're going to get Hulk Hogan's private jet. And uh, one guy named Rick Burkholder, who was a – uh, he was a trainer. He's a head trainer with the Chiefs now. And we all flew down there, man. We had like a blast. It was our day off. We had a Tuesday off. And we went down there, man. And Kevin was kind of, you know, on camera. I was kind of just backstage, man. It was it was a lot of fun. We had a great time. So, yeah, that was kind of one of my memories. But I just I knew how much he loved playing the game. He really loved playing the game. He always brought his energy there. And, you know, I wish we could have won a Super Bowl because he was a guy that really wanted to get that ring and get to the Super Bowl. And we finally did. And unfortunately, that was his last game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But he was a great friend. We really, I thought in my mind, we were really great friends. And he's a great mentor to me. So, it, it was great, and, you know, you just try to remember the good times right now, you know. The thing that's cool about Kevin is, uh, to me, as and, and I think to all Steeler Nation, is the fact that, you know, he was only there three years, but he really embraced the city of Pittsburgh and the blue-collar mentality, and like and, 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 and he, go, he you know, he went into the Hall of Fame when he, he wanted to get his Hall of Fame ring in Pittsburgh um, and mm-hmm. wanted to be honored in Pittsburgh and wanted to go in as a Pittsburgh Steeler. That just – to me, and I know the rest of Steeler Nation, man, that just, you know, makes us all feel great that, you know, here's a guy who played longer with the Rams and probably yeah. the Panthers than he did the Steelers, but yet Pittsburgh meant so much to him in his time with you guys and and, and in the city of Pittsburgh that, you know, and, and even in his retirement when he wasn't coaching, he was a Steelers fan and he owned that and was always a big Steelers guy. He, he was a Steelers through and through, and they, they loved him, man. I mean, when he first got – I mean, he first got there, they just fell in love with him, man. You know, he, he produced on the field. He really did. He helped us make that defense better. You know, now you got 
a guy on the other side of Greg Lloyd that can rush the passer as well. And then you got these two young pups come in, man, and it was kind of, it was a great combination. We all brought something different to the table, but it worked. But yeah, Pittsburgh really uh, adopted Kevin. They really loved his style, and he really played toward the fans. And he was a fan favorite. And it seemed like you would think that he he, he spent most of his career in Pittsburgh, but he really didn't. He only did, he only played three years, but he goes in as a Steeler. It's, it was kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing how that happened. It is. He was great. And, and once again, our, our thoughts and prayers go to him and his family and his wife and two kids. And, uh, you know, so uh, Kevin Green, uh, like you said earlier, rest in peace. Um, great, a great guy uh, from everybody that, that I knew. I, I, I did get the pleasure of meeting him at uh, one of the uh, playoff games. Um, and that was pretty cool um, yeah. as a Steelers He was fan. bigger than life, you know. He was, he man. Was. He was so nice, you know, so nice. Such a nice guy. And, uh, yeah. You know, re- really sad to see him um, see him leave us too soon. But uh, thanks for your time, man, sharing that. And, uh, oh, yeah, no again, problem. our thoughts go out to all of you guys that played his teammates and everybody else. Um, so, man, we're, we're going to get to it, though, as we review the ACC championship game. And um, me and you were texted a little bit after the game. Uh, it's almost that people just were to listen to what our podcast said, right, that they, they knew what yeah. was going to happen, right? Yeah. We, I thought we were bragging, but – no, we, I mean, we were just telling the truth. We, we kind of saw the game, the first one, for what it was, mm-hmm. that it was a perfect storm for Notre Dame. And you're talking about Trevor being out. You're t- not only that, Skowski, Tyler Davis, Jones being out. And we, we told everybody what a difference those four guys made in the game. And although DJ played well, we understood that Trevor – um, can also not only pass the balls in every window, every area of the field, but Trevor is a great athlete, and Trevor can run, and he makes the defense, they have to pause a little bit. You can't just, you know, you can't just say, hey, we're going to stop ETN. And that's what they did the first game. We were kind of more, not saying we were one-dimensional, but they really took away the run game, and we just couldn't recover, even though we probably should have won in regulation. So we played the game as well as you could possibly play. And still, I, I think Notre Dame probably had the best game of their lives that night, and they barely escaped with the win. So we talked about it, and we said, like, hey, Trevor Lawrence, and I know you said this, Trevor Lawrence is good for two touchdowns. You know, that's 14 points mm-hmm. better than Notre Dame. And, I mean, you were absolutely right. We, we both kind of said that, yeah, with Trevor and the guys coming back, that this won't be a, such an easy game for another day. We, we told everybody that this with Trevor coming back, this is going to be difficult, and we don't see Notre Dame winning this game. And lo and behold, we were absolutely right. And I think the one thing that we um, might have underestimated was that the we're playing a team twice during a year. Mm-hmm. especially if you lost that game and you're a team that has the talent and the coaching staff that the Clemson Tigers have, we, I think we kind of underestimate the revenge factor. And <laughs> I saw a clip where the fan base from Notre Dame was, you know, they came rushing on the field. They were in Trevor's face and he had his mask on, but you could see him kind of like smiling and embracing that moment. And really saying, 
we're going to get a chance to play you guys again. And when we play you guys again with me in there, there's going to be a difference. And it was, Will. It was a big difference. It was – I know which clip you're talking about, and it's almost like you wish he didn't have his mask on because you would love to see what he's saying, like, okay. And that that's the kind of competitor. I don't think people – because he's got – when you see him in interviews and you – watching with the media he just got this very calm demeanor mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like he ever gets too high or too low but if you really pay attention to Trevor Lawrence when he's on the field competing he is the ultimate competitor and right. he is in guys faces he's talking trash to him I remember Darren Wrencher a few weeks ago said Trevor's one of the biggest trash talkers on the team I would have um, never guessed that though you wouldn't guess it for nothing because he I just looks never like know that yeah, and then but if you watch him, you can see where he's talking garbage to the other teams. And he kept looking over there at Notre Dame after he threw that first touchdown. He looked over there at Notre Dame like, it's going to be all day, boys. It's going to be yeah. all day. <laughs> I saw him do that gesture where he kind of pointed to his eyes like, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Amari running downfield like that. And that was the play when I was like, oh, they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. When he threw that long one to Amari, I was like, yeah, they're going to be in for a very long night night today or day or whatever. They're going to be in for a long one. And they were. And Clemson totally outclassed them. In every way, they they outplayed them. They hustled them. Uh, um, I mentioned how Dabo Sweeney really challenged the physicality of the offense and defensive line. And you saw Clemson own the line of scrimmage um, in this game. Um, they owned it, um, and it, it wasn't even funny. And 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 we know we've talked about the difference Trevor Lawrence made. We definitely saw the difference Tyler Davis made with yes. that with that pass rush. Because, I think I text you. <laughs> you did. When he made that tackle behind the line of scrimmage. I'm like Tyler Davis. And but you know what's funny, Will? We've been telling people that all year long. What a special player this guy was. Mm-hmm. And when he's in the game. It's a difference than when he's not there. His energy, his ability to penetrate, his ability to get under offensive linemen and control them. Mm-hmm. And I was watching Dexter Lawrence um, when the Giants were playing against the Cleveland Browns. And he's kind of that dominating kind of guy. We all say, we always say that he reminds us of Grady Jerry, and he really does. Right. And Tyler brings so much to the line of scrimmage. And everybody was talking about how big, how physical Notre Dame was. It really didn't show up in this game. Um, Tyler was definitely dominant. And the defense just, they had the energy. And they really did a great job on Ian Book, keeping him in the pocket and making him try to make decisions that we both said before that we thought that if they can control the, you know, if they can rush lane, pretty well, don't get out of the quarterback's depth, that Ian Book was going to have some problems, and he did. And we also said that the secondary, our secondary can cover these guys, mm-hmm. and that's absolutely what they did. And like we said before, Notre Dame was just really outclassed and couldn't keep up with Clemson. Think about this way. They had 34 dropbacks, okay, mm-hmm. and um, they only they only threw for 219 yards. Right, that's- wow. You know, so you talk about the – I mean, there were – of those six sacks, I would say three or four of them were coverage sacks. 
Um, no that's question. how good could have a job. The now the defensive line did a good job containing them, keep them in the pocket, and then I thought the out the guys on the outside did a great job just keeping guys in front of them, staying with their guys, not letting guys get open. Um, I thought all in all at all three levels was a complete game, probably the best game the Clemson defense has played all year long. I thought um, at all three levels, and um, if they play like that, there's no doubt in my mind they're the best team in the country. And, and, and I'm sorry, people can say all they want to about Alabama and all that, but I saw Alabama give up 46 points and 408 yards passing uh, to Florida. Um, and uh, I think number 28 for Alabama kept – I think he would have fouled out if he was playing <laughs> basketball <laughs> because yes. he, he was just – I mean, yeah, his five fouls early. He hit early. I mean, he was pitiful. I mean, he was just garbage back there. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. And, um, you know, so for people to say Alabama's the best team, they're not watching football because, I mean, you don't give up 46 points and you're like the most complete team. Come on. You know, who, who in the world says that? I mean, Clemson by far is the most complete team in these college football playoffs because they play well. Uh, all three levels of defense, their special teams is solid, and then they got the most dynamic offense with the two best players in college football in the backfield. Well, you know, I would dare say that the SEC and Alabama and that whole conference is a lot different than what they used to be. And what I mean by that is that their defenses are not as good. It, it seems like there's a, there's a renaissance of offense with the – with the SEC team. So now they got the offense, but it's not as balanced on the defensive side. Mm -hmm. And you can score on these teams. You really can. Alabama has a good offense, but I, I really believe if you put the matchup there, that I think Clemson can roll with those guys. Wow, I really do. And Mac Jones, how much pressure has he really gotten? You know, how they really gotten on Mac Jones. And Venable is the master of creating pressure. And that is going to be, I think, an interesting, interesting matchup if it comes to fruition that Alabama plays against Clemson. But I think you're right in a lot of ways, Will, that Alabama is not as good defensively uh -huh. as they've been in the past. And I know that they're saying, well, now you just went with offense. And I think the analysts and uh, the talking heads have really not looked at the SEC overall and understand that there's no defense that's played in the SEC anymore. No defense whatsoever. So if you bring if you bring a team like Clemson that has an offense that can score, more importantly, that can drive down the field, then I think you kind of put the pressure on Alabama now. Yeah, and I know they got to get past, and we'll talk about Ohio State. You got to get past Ohio State and all that. Who I think technically is the second best team in this playoff, um, in my opinion. Uh, just watching the four teams, and I've watched them all year. Um, um, and when I, but when I, you know, kind of going back to what you're saying, the SEC's defense. I mean, I think this is the worst uh, Nick Saban defense since probably 2008. And right. and, and more to your point about the uh, Mac Jones. Um, if you go back and watch a couple of plays when Florida did get to him, when they mm -hmm. did get him on the ground and they did hit him, um, the next couple of plays, he was flustered. Right. And you could see the happy feet. And you saw mm -hmm. a couple of times where he threw the ball into the ground and he just wasn't comfortable and he was seeing ghosts. And right. I'm like, man, if you think you're seeing ghosts with Florida's defense, um, 
you don't want to play Brent Venables in, 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 in that Clemson defensive line and the Clemson blitzing because that's going to be a challenge for him. And, and you know, I was watching the, um, the Notre Dame game again, and you talked about the secondary and, and how these guys are, are as good as we've seen Clemson ever have. And um, have they had they given up some big plays this year? Absolutely. Have they had some issues? Absolutely. But when they're healthy and playing their best, they're as good as anybody. And so everybody talks about Alabama's five-star receivers, and they do. They got some great receivers. Don't get me wrong. Smith is unbelievable. Um, but Clemson's got five-star corners. They got, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, you look at those two corners for Clemson, those guys, Andrew Booth is a five-star. He was a number six or seven player in the country coming out of high school. You know, you got Darren Kendrick, who was a five-star athlete coming out of high school. Those two guys can cover anybody, and they're tall and they're physical, and I think they can hang with them, and, you know, they'll do a good enough job, I think, to, to be able to limit those wide receivers and make Mac Jones have to make tight throws, which he hasn't had to do most of the year. He's, he hasn't had to make NFL throws. Well, when I watched when I watched Alabama play against Florida, I mean, it was just so many holes in that defense. It was just kind of ridiculous. I mean, it was just like, do these guys do these guys know anything about pattern reads? Do they understand concepts? And it just seemed like those guys were just dropping and covering grass, mm-hmm. and he was just kind of picking them apart. The one thing I do like about this Clemson defense, and we we really have touched on this before. What do we always say that? The Clemson defensive line is going to be those are NFL guys. And the other part that we said that I think a lot of people don't realize that the quarterbacks that the Clemson Tigers have, they're pros. They are NFL guys. Those guys will get drafted. And those guys probably get drafted in the first or second round. That's how good they are. And a lot of times when you go across the country, you don't always have that. And certainly not this year in the SEC, you don't have that. And the beauty of it, too, with with Clemson defense, we talked about their youth, but now those guys are getting that experience. They understand how to play the game. Trent Simpson played as well as I saw Trent Simpson play. And and Murray is an outstanding defensive lineman. I can't wait to see what happens with him once he really understands the game. And Breezy is just a um, – Breezy is a monster, man. He really is. And he's a big dude. And I'm telling you, if Breezy stays focused and really works on his craft, there won't be a defensive – there won't be an offensive lineman that can possibly block him. So the the scary thing is all these guys are coming back. It's in Tyler Davis. It's coming back. They're going to be monsters on that defensive line. And like I said, the young guys are growing up and they're playing way better than they did before. And when you got that kind of combination of energy, youth, know-how, and then you got a Brent Venables who's designed the defense, it can cause a lot of people a lot of headaches and problems. Yeah, you got um, also coming back um, KJ Henry, um, who who's he, man. He had a good game in that uh, AC championship. Um, Justin Maskell, who's been probably the biggest surprise of any of those yeah. guys. He's coming back. Um, so you know, you just they're just loaded on that defensive line. And then the guy who has emerged as to me the superstar next player for Clemson, 
is Malcolm Green, number 21. Oh, yes. Man, he is everywhere, dude. He is everywhere. And Brent Venables talks about how smart he is and how elusive he is and how he just gets after people. And he's a football player, right? And he's a tough kid, too, yeah. man. He doesn't mind sticking his nose in there. And a lot of times, you don't always get that from the secondary guys who want to stick their nose in that business and make plays and not afraid to make plays. It was one, I think it's one of the bigger plays when he came in there and man, he made a collision. He didn't make the tackle, but Trent came, Trent Sensen came up and cleaned up. Yeah. And his energy is like electric. I was like, I really, I was like, wow, I really like and enjoy this kid. And I'm telling you, when you play defense to that high energy level, you got something going. And I think people, if they're sleeping on Clemson for this playoff, they're, they're, they're going to be wrong. They're going to be dead wrong after this is all over with. Plus, I don't care what the Heisman says or whatever like that, Clemson has the best college player that they had in not this year, but I'm talking about several years. This guy's, for the last three years, this guy's been the best football player in college on the planet. And I agree with Dabo. The Heisman should want to be associated with uh, Trevor Lawrence. They should want him to be a representation of what the Heisman really is. I don't know if he's going to get it, but you, when you got that guy as your quarterback, you're cooking with some hot grease. Mm-hmm. And that's what we said in the Notre Dame game. We told, we told everybody that he was going to make that kind of difference, and he did. Well, the Heisman is supposed to go to the most outstanding player, not the guy who had the best year. So, right. in other words, statistically, Mac Jones and Smith had the best year, statistically. That, you know, so you understand that, but that's not what this award's about. It's about most outstanding player, the player who makes the biggest difference to his team. Alabama can win games without Smith. They can win games without um, without Jones, right? I mean, we know that. And so right. – um, because – but we know Trevor Lawrence in a big game, Clemson can't win without Trevor Lawrence. And right. that was shown at Notre Dame when they didn't win that game. And, and what kind of difference does he make? Well, when he comes in, they beat Notre Dame. They really beat him by four touchdowns, um, you know, 31-3 to three more. And he, 34 to 34-3 was more the score. They got that – that kind of, you know, that junk touchdown there near the end of the game to make it 34-10. But the game wasn't that close. It wasn't even close to being that close. And Trevor Lawrence was the main difference. Now, granted, Skowski in there, Davis also made a big difference on defense. But as I said, and we talked about last week, you know, Clemson is 14 points different when Trevor Lawrence is in the game, no matter yeah, who and, you play. And, and, and also, too, Will, what we have to – I think people need to recognize on this, too, is Trevor – Although his statue is 6'6", and normally you don't associate that with a quarterback that can run as well as he can. But this guy, I'm telling you, he is one of those kind of quarterbacks that is just a headache for defenses to prepare for because you understand that he can pass the ball all over the yard. But a lot of times when a guy is just a pocket guy, you can defend that. That's easy to defend. But this guy can run the ball, too. And you know what that does? That opens it up for um, ETN 
It does. You saw the different kind of running back that <laughs> each like year was against Notre Dame. You know, from that first game, it seemed like, oh, Notre Dame was really shutting them out. No, they understood what Clemson was doing, and they could only be that one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. When Trevor came in the game and Trevor started getting those yards on him, that loosened up that defense a whole lot, and you saw what kind of running back ETN was. So that's the kind of magic that Trevor brings to our offense. It's a calm. It's a knowing that we're going to get that first first. You know, we're going to get that first down. We're going to get that long pass. And um, this, and then now on top of that, this guy can run for 15 yards easily. Mm-hmm. And for defense. It's hard to defend the, uh, the quarterback run. It's almost impossible because you don't have enough dudes to defend that. Mm-hmm. So it can cause you headaches. And he's smart with it. He's smart with it, and he's 6'6". He's a big dude. And, you know, when you go to tackle him, you better bring the, you better bring the heat because uh, big guys like that, that can hurt you. So that's what he brings to the table each and every game. Yeah, I know – you know, and, and you're right. And I think that's one thing when you watch, uh, and I still think Notre Dame's got a very good defensive line. And I think they're going to give Alabama some fits more than people think they're going to, because they're not going to worry about Mac Jones in the running game at, at all in that game. And that, so that's going to help them in coverage. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they, Clemson got a lot of big plays on Notre Dame because Notre Dame's having to, their, their linebackers are having to freeze. You know, the one thing you look at, look at the touchdown pass to EJ Williams. Mm-hmm. Perfect example of what you're talking about. Trevor's been running it, running it, running it, right? And all of a sudden, you know, he can play play action off of that. And so he freezes the linebackers. He freezes that safety who's supposed to be there, but because of his running ability and what he's been doing in the RPOs and the, in the, in the zone reads, he freezes them. And that's all EJ Williams needed. He kind of goes across the middle on a cross, on a crossing route. He's wide open in the middle of the field. And because that safety's out of position, because he kind of got froze a little bit by the play action, you know, all of a sudden that's an easy walk-in touchdown for E.J. Williams. That is a perfect example of what Trevor Lawrence brings in the running game that allows the passing game to be totally different as well. And what you're talking, it just works. The whole offense works so much better and more. And and don't get me wrong. I think when D.J.'s healthy and he totally understands the complete offense the way Trevor does, you're going to see the same kind of results. I really believe yeah. that because he's just as athletic. He's just as fast as Trevor, and, and he's actually more physical than Trevor, so they'll be able to run more quarterback power with him. So, yeah, I think, you know, this is something I think we're going to see for a couple of years to come because of the guys Clemson's are recruiting at the quarterback position, and they just keep finding those guys and, and going and getting them. And, and I think that play, more than any play, you know, kind of tells you exactly what you were talking about when you – watch this Clemson offense and how different it is with Trevor Lawrence in there. Yeah, you know, no kidding about that. I think that this is such a good run organization that you're wondering why they're getting these quarterbacks because they know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, I always said at uh, when I was with Pittsburgh, as far as the linebackers are concerned, they knew what they were looking for because it's a, it's a good system and they know who to bring in. It's the same thing with the quarterbacks. You know the quality of guy that you want to bring in. And on this level or any level, if you could have a if you can have an advantage at the quarterback position and you can surround him with some weapons, 
yeah, you got you got you got something going there. And Clemson has something going there. And like we said before, if you were picking a backyard football game, you had Trevor, you had Jones, who are you picking first? You're picking Trevor Lawrence. Picking Trevor Lawrence all day. All day long. You may not even pick Matt Jones next. You're picking some other guys. I'm picking Smith yeah. next. Yeah, but other than <laughs> no that, disrespect to Clemson's receivers, but I'm gonna go Trevor yeah. Lawrence and then the re- if we're playing seven on seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. I mean, when you you think about the Heisman, I think sometimes it gets a little. I think people get it confused a little bit. They look at the stats and say, "Oh, it's the best guy that has the stats." But if you want to say it's about the very best player, then there's no question that the very best player in college football is um, Trevor Lawrence. And there may not be another player like him in the next 10 years. That's how good of a player he is. And I think it would be a shame if he doesn't get the trophy. I don't know if he will, but I think it would be a shame if he doesn't. Well, since um, they were in high school together, not too far apart, there in the Atlanta area, um, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence kind of grew up kind of playing against each other, if you will. Um, they always kind of were against each other, especially in those seven on sevens and, you know, going through all those camps and Nike camps and armor all camps or whatever camps that, that the, the high school kids go through. They seem to always be, you know, one and two all the way through, you right. know, um, they were in comparison. It's always Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence or Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. Well, now here they are going to play part two against yeah. each other um, in, in the Sugar Bowl um, here on New Year's Day. And, um, you know, you had a chance to look at these guys in, in these camps. You had a chance to go see which ones. And, and I remember you telling me a story um, about when you were asked to go look at Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, and somebody was telling you, like, you know, um, to get your thoughts on it. And this would be the first time I think you saw Trevor Lawrence playing – who was already committed to Clemson at that time. Can you remind, can you tell me that story again and, and kind of tell our listeners like what it was like when you first saw these two guys playing? Well, yeah. Um, I remember seeing more so Trevor and Trevor. I mean, you can't, you can't help but recognize who he is with his height statue and everything, but we're about to play seven. We're doing a seven on seven. It's for the championship. And I'm the defensive guy for our for our defense that's going against Trevor Lawrence. And I'm just watching him and his release and everything. And I'm sometimes when you look at a player, sometimes you can't really sometimes you can't believe your eyes. And I'm thinking like, I've seen Dan Marino throw the ball, I've seen John Elway throw the ball. And I'm like, Man, he reminds me of Dan Marino throwing the ball. I mean, it's just getting there with philosophy. It's just there. And I'm like, this kid's only, it's not, this kid's not even a senior in high school yet. And he's throwing the ball better than a lot of guys I've seen in, in training camp in the pros. I kid you not. I'm thinking like this guy is like a Dan Marino type of guy. And, but for me, a lot of times, as a former player, it's kind of hard for you to buy into how good a guy is when you haven't seen him yet. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of watch them, watch them. And I was, you know, they were just like, how good this guy Trevor Lawrence is. And I'm like, oh, okay. 
for me, is more so I, I want to see the guy play first. And I have I didn't even see him play in a regular season game. It was just seven on seven at a rivals camp. And I was convinced right there on the spot that this dude was all that. And I was really excited. I'm like, oh my God, man, Clemson really, I mean, they really got a guy. They got a guy that's gonna take them to the next level. And sure enough, that's what I mean, that's what he's been doing. But I'm gonna tell you, as a football player, as an athlete, and Will, you know this, we know other athletes. We can almost sniff them out. Mm-hmm. And for a kid to be that good, that young, was mind blowing because I'm an OG. And we like, we wanna see you play first. And it wasn't even him playing. He's back there just throwing the ball around and about to get it on on 707. And I'm telling you, man, it was an amazing thing to see. And I was like, yeah, he can play. And he's a player, man. I'm telling you, he's a guy that's going to go to the NFL. And if he goes to the Jets or the Jaguars, he's going to make them better already. I, I totally agree with you. There's no doubt in my mind to use him. He's a special kind of guy. Um, and so when I look up this matchup, and again, they're not playing each other. You know, Justin Fields got to play Brent Venables. You know, t- uh, Trevor's obviously got to go up against Ohio State's defense. But um, they're kind of connected at the hip these two guys are. They have yeah, been their entire careers, and that's going to continue. It's, it's, and I guess it's kind of fitting, if you will, that these two guys will play one more time in college. And I'm sure – we're probably going to see them play a few times in the NFL against each other as well. And maybe in the Super Bowl, let's hope, right? Let's hope right. they go to teams where they can do that. But this matchup, man, you know, what do you see in the Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields matchup? And who do you think has the, the edge in this game? Okay, yeah. And, and let me let everybody know, although they will not be playing against each other, they're competing against each other. Mm-hmm. There's no question about – Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, neither one of them play defense, but I guarantee you that they're trying to show each other up in this game first and foremost. But we already told you what Trevor was all about. We told you that we think that he's probably the best quarterback, best player in college football, and there's no doubt about that. But this Justin Fields kid is a very, very capable quarterback that can, again, make all the throws again he can um, he can escape from the pocket. You saw what he did last year. I st- I don't think he's having um, the greatest of years right now. And really, honestly, we only got just a small sample size because they only played six games. And mm-hmm. I think in college, it's really around your eighth, ninth, tenth game is when you really kind of have that final flow about you that you know, that's when you really kind of see what kind of team it really is. And Ohio State's a little off right now. They ran the ball well against um, North, uh, was it Northwestern? Yeah, Northwestern, yep. Yeah, they ran the ball well, but let's be honest, Northwestern uh, had no, they had no, (laughs) they should not have been on that field, that defense. I mean, they could have ran the ball the whole time. Yeah, they didn't need to throw it. Yeah, they, they really shouldn't even throw him the ball. I mean, it was just that horrible. But, uh, but yeah, Justin can make the plays, man. He really can. And I think it will be a game that 
I, I think Clemson is going to win the game. But I feel that, you know, Justin brings a lot to the table. And if he's on point, he's good and he's dangerous. But at, at this point in time now, he's not – to me, he's not quite the guy he was last year. And maybe – I mean, I know he hurt his thumb a little bit. and That was a little bit of a hindrance. But he threw some interceptions. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. I just kind of scratched my head on the one – He's that, hanging you know, on to the ball too long like he's trying to make plays. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, when sometimes as a player, you can, you can try, you can overdo it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he, he's not letting the, he's not letting the game come to him. It seems like he's trying to force it. It's kind of like what Trevor was a little bit last year. You Probably know, the season last year. You try to win the Heisman in one game or a few games. And the best thing you can do is let the game come to you. Take what the, you know, take what the defense give you. You know, they give you that long pass, take it. But, you know, go through your progressions and not try to force the ball in there. And I think that's when young quarterbacks get in trouble is when they think that their arm is uh, the magic arms of all arms. And they try to put it in the window that they can't possibly put it in. And it seemed like that game uh, versus Northwestern, he was trying to do some stuff that I thought just wasn't really sound. Yeah. But the make no make no bones about it. Justin Fields is a capable quarterback, and I really think that these guys are probably going to go in the draft one and two. Well, I would say yeah, I think so. Um, I think that I think this game's going to be a big deal for Justin and where the scouts look at him. I think Levon, because when you look at the two games that he struggled the most in his career was against Clemson last year, where. He threw two interceptions, but he could have easily thrown five. Um, right. one, one, a third one was intercepted, but they called pass interference on it. Um, and so he got away with that one. Um, and then there was two others that Clemson dropped um, mm-hmm. that, that should have been interceptions. And so he struggled last year. And, and, and I'm interested to see what Brent Venables does with this. Thing. They played a three-man front last year, didn't really bring much pressure, kind of made Justice sit in that pocket, even though he had a bum knee you know, they didn't, still didn't want him running around. And, and so right. they kept him in that pocket and made him go through his progressions and try to make plays. He struggled in the red zone. I think he did okay getting to the 20s, but when he got to the 20, he really struggled in that red zone uh, to make reads and to make the right throws and accurate throws. Um, and I think you're going to see Clemson do something similar what I think they did against Ian Book. I really do believe that uh, right. with their coverages and try to confuse them and, and mix things up. And Because um, Ohio State's got two really good wide receivers, but that's about it. And, uh, and uh, that plays into Clemson's hands. It's not like Alabama where they got four or five, you know, and you're, you got to really be on your P's and Q's when you're playing Alabama. There's just a couple guys you got to shut down. And if you can cover those guys up and then you're not really worried about other guys, you know, breaking you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you'll let the tight end have a pass or two here or there and you'll be fine. Um, so I think that's going to be the big deal. So when NFL scouts are looking at Justin Fields in this game, they're, I think they're going to try to watch him because Indiana really confused him a lot. They mm. played a lot of the same scheme Clemson did. He threw three interceptions in that game, um, really struggled. He hung onto the ball. Um, he's got a young offensive line, so people are getting pressure to him. They've given up uh, 17 or 18 sacks this year, which is uh, in six games. So there's, there's almost three sacks a game they're giving up. Right. And uh, that's way more, and I think they gave up all of last year um, in, 15, in 14 games. So um, – you know, so he's struggling there, I think, because pressure's getting to him and he's trying to make plays. They don't – yes, they ran for 300-some-odd yards the other day, 
Um, but for the most part this year, they haven't been able to run the football like that. I think that game was misleading as far as oh, yeah. them rushing the, the ball as much as they did. It, I mean, Northwestern just could not stop them. It was like some of those guys were disguising themselves as the numbers and the hash marks are tying their shoes while the play was going on so they wouldn't tackle this guy. I mean, it was like – They were making clear business decisions. There's they no were doubt. making business – I'm telling you, man, there was a guy out there, he was tying his shoes when Sir, when Sermon was running the ball. I'm telling you, they were disguising themselves as the hash marks and the line of scrimmage so they wouldn't tackle. They had the white jerseys on, so they were just like, no, nah, I'm not going to – I'm just going to lay down here, lay down here and pretend that I'm a number – so I won't have to tackle this guy. It was, I'm telling you, it was, it, it was, it was sad to look at. As a defensive guy, you're a defensive guy. It, it, was, it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. Just like the SEC championship game was hard for me to watch. I, I tweeted on the SEC championship game. I said that was the most boring game I've ever watched in my life because neither team could stop the other team. It was like I was watching Arena Football League. It was like Canadian football. Yeah. It, it, it was. It was like. Do they even practice tackling? It was Do horrible. They understand? <laughs> it's like tackling is just a lost art. And I know people are saying, well, we didn't have enough time, but my goodness. You're 11 games in. Come on. You, yeah, you don't have – you can practice without – you can tackle without – nowadays you can really do tackling drills or really without pads on. You yeah, really can. you can do thud drills. I mean, you just do thud drills. Man, the rugby stuff, you know, what, what Seattle does. You could do that. It's like these guys are – and you could tell that these guys are not really tackling as well because when guys are going to the sideline, guys are pushing guys out. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to wrap them up. They're pushing and they're reaching. And the reason why they're doing that is because they're doing it in practice. And what you do in practice shows up in the game always 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 shows up so if you're not practicing tackling are you doing it with really bad effort or bad technique it's not gonna you're not gonna go to the game and all of a sudden you're gonna turn your tackling switch on and start making a bunch of tackles if you're missing them in practice or you're reaching in practice your body is like, what do you want me to do? This is what we do in practice. This is how you train me. So I'm going to go into the game the same way. And you can see that tackling is just not a priority with some of these uh, with some of these teams. No. And it's it's just really from a defensive standpoint, it's kind of hard to watch. It's it really depre- is. It's, it's depressing. Really it's depressing. I'm going to be honest with you. I. I some people are like, I can't believe you don't think that's exciting. I'm like, well, obviously you didn't play football because it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's depressing for me. I don't like watching it. I, it's, I don't, you know, I take, I'll take 14 to six any day of the week over, over 52 to 46. As a defensive um, player, it's kind of embarrassing to watch it because you're just like, these guys are missing tackles. And really it's just simple things that they could do to, make better tackles. Some people think that guys are just, oh, my gosh, he's so fast. He's so quick. You know, I was a big guy. There's a lot of things I did as a tackler that really minimized 
what the offense was trying to do. And that's what you have to do as far as tackling is concerned. You have to minimize the space. You have to cut off the space. You have to know exactly what angle. And you have to use your arms. You have to bring your body. You can't just reach for tackles or push a guy because he's just going to run through it or he's just going to run away from you. So there are some things that I'm seeing as a former player, and I know that I'm an OG, but tackling is fundamental, man. It, it's something that throughout the ages shouldn't change that much. I just don't think it changes that much. I just think that the effort and really not really emphasizing it is the problem as far as college guys being good tacklers. I think, That's you know, I think. Yeah, you know, you know, Brent Venables, I asked him about this a few weeks ago, and we talked about, um, you know, in one of his Zoom calls, you know, what's changed about the game? Why does it seem like defenses aren't as good as they have been? And what's the difference with you guys? Because you're still very good and one of the better defenses when you're seeing other teams, such as Alabama, slip um, in defense and Florida, who Florida a couple years ago had a very good defense. And now they they look – both those teams look horrible in that game. And, you know, his answer was, well, part of it is the game has changed in the sense that everybody's going spread and everybody's spreading you out. So you got to find ways to adjust as a defense to how to attack the spread. And I think Brent Venables has done a good job of that. And one way you do it is you find guys like Isaiah Simmons and Trent Simpson, and you find guys like that who are just these kind of freak athletes that can play safety and linebacker and really kind of help you in both areas. Um and then, you know, and then he talked about how, you know, it's just a, like you said, it's a mind thing where you got to get guys to understand, okay, you have to tackle an open space because mm -hmm. you're, you're what, what these offenses are doing, they're spreading you out and they're getting their playmakers in open space. And this comes to one-on-one -on -one tackling. And, yeah. and he talked about how that's something they work on a lot, just one-on-one -on -one tackling and making sure their guys make those plays. And when you watch Clemson play, you watch their DBs and safeties, Look how many one-on-one -on -one tackles those guys make. They make right. them as well as anybody, and I think that's why Clemson's defense has been consistently good throughout all this, even though these offenses are coming up. And I'm surprised Alabama, with the level that it recruits to, is struggling on defense like they are because Alabama's got studs, LeVon. they got yeah. five-star safeties and DBs and linebackers and defensive tackles. So I don't understand what's going on at Alabama where their defense is this bad. Um, now they've had some injuries. I understand that they lost their starting middle linebacker, and that's a big that's a big loss, obviously. But that bad? I mean, it has, this isn't just the Florida game. Remember the Ole Miss game where they gave up over six hundred yards to Ole Miss? I mean, if I I you know just I don't know Nick Saban personally, but I know Nick Saban, the football coach, and I know Nick Saban is a defensive guy. This has to be painful for him to watch. Him to watch 46 points given up last week had to be painful. Uh, yeah, I think it is. But I also, too, I, I heard something from Nick Saban that was kind of disturbing when he said that you got to win on offense now. I mean, he basically said, yeah, it's, it's, you got to win. You're, you're winning basically on offense now. So is that a is that an explanation of, okay, well, defense just can't keep up. So we won't worry about it. We're just going to worry about scoring more so than about stopping. But like my my great friend Kevin Green says, it's one-on-one -on -one battles. That's that's what football is. It's one-on-one -on -one battles. And you've got to be able to tackle in space. 
You you got to be able to cut down that space. You got to be able to cut guys off and dictate to guys what they're going to do. If you give them a two-way go, it's over. If you if you're hesitant, you don't move your feet, it's over. So those are the things you really have to emphasize as far as tackling is concerned. Making sure and and now I just think you have to be more you, you got to now buckle down on uh, the technique of it, you know, the fundamentals of it, you know, using your arms. A lot of times you see guys when they jump over a guy, whoa, the one common denominator is the tackler is looking down. at the grass and his head is down and he doesn't see his target. So you got to see your target. You got to close in on your target. You got to make sure that this guy only has one way to go. You got to wrap up. You got to drive your feet. And that's something tackling is something that I think people think naturally comes with a football player. It does not. You naturally don't you do naturally don't want to run into somebody who wants to run into anybody. Nobody. Nobody. So it's something that has to become an acquired taste. And it's something that honestly you have to practice and you have to get those reps. So when you get in the game, you don't freeze up. You don't get all scared because this guy is so fast. He's going to juke me. You got to make sure you cut him off. You got to make sure you keep moving your feet. And you got to make sure you drive through the guy. So I think that it's not as emphasized as much as it should be. That reminds me of a story. You know, James Harrison, who, as me and you both know, was one of the best tacklers, best linebackers you'll ever see that played for Pittsburgh. And, and James, you know, when they made some of the rule changes they made around 2009, 10-ish range, and they started finding players for the way they were hitting, and James, and James Harrison kept saying, look, you can't expect a guy who's been taught to tackle a certain way since he was six years old to all of a sudden he's got to stop cold turkey and go a totally different way on how to tackle without practicing it. you got to make us practice that. We can't just change – in the flow of a game because they changed the rules in the middle of the season, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And that's why he was like, you can't expect all of us to do that. Now you're finding us because you changed these rules in the middle of the season. Like it's not fair. And I thought that's the, that's a great point to what you're talking about, how, you know, it's all about how you practice tackling and yeah. how you, from the day you start camp all the way through the season, you got to have those one or two days a week where you have to tackle, you have to practice it. And you're right, you know, you, you see guys hurdle another guy and the guy's head's down. And if the guy's head's up and he's got his shoulders oh. square and he's driving, what's he going to do if that guy tries to hurdle him? He's yeah. going to catch him midair and he's power drop to the ground. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what's going to happen. So yeah. it, that's it's a perfect example of, you know, tackling has, is not, um, not being taught well at any level. But I will say this, the one of the most underrated coaches at Clemson, is my boy Mike Reed. Mm-hmm. I think Mike Reed is one of the best coaches um, on Clemson's staff. I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. And that's okay because Mike doesn't want the credit because that's who he is. He's not that kind of guy that wants all the credit. Right. But, man, if you watch his DBs play, and there's so much put on an island, you know, in Brent Venable's scheme, and he knows that, and, and that's the way that scheme works. And he has those guys coached up, and he has them ready to play. And when they have to make one-on-one tackles and you go all the way back to McKenzie Alexander, 
um, who, by the way, balled out in the game against our Steelers the other day. But he, he, he balled out. If you go back and even back to then when he first started with Dabo and this staff, if you go watch his players play, those DBs, man, they make tackles and they hit hard. And um, I just think Mike Reed deserves a lot of credit for the way his defensive backs play in, in this Brent Venable scheme and how he has them ready to play and how they always tackle well uh, when they have to in open space. Yeah, you know, Mike is a guy I know back even from the Philly days when I was um, with Philadelphia. So, yeah, Mike is an SM close. He did a great job at NC State as well. Mm -hmm. um, it was probably a shame that they let him go and a blessing that we got him because, like you said, if you look at our defensive back play, our defensive backs are about as good as any defensive backfield in the country. And sometimes – fans don't recognize it because a guy catches a slant or a guy catches a ball on him. And I'm like, dude, it's one-on-one. -on -one. Have you ever played one-on-one -on -one before? It's difficult. It's so hard. It's harder than you can think, especially when a guy understands what he's doing. And then he also understands how to adjust. And a lot of times you're – in the game of football, you, you're still kind of reacting. Even though you want to be proactive, it's kind of like you are reacting to a lot of uh, what the offense is doing. And IDBs do, I think they do a, a really good job of that, you know. And like you said, you could, I've been to Clemson practices before, and trust me, tackling is definitely emphasized. Mm -hmm. Those guys are pretty good tackles. Do they miss sometimes? Yeah. I mean, it's just a part of game. Yeah. You're going to miss. You're going to lose leverage. As long as you don't do it on a consistent basis like Northwestern did. I mean, my goodness. As long as you're not hiding with the hash hashes. No, as long as you're not disguising yourself as a pylon so you won't <laughs> have to make a tackle, then, <laughs> then you're going to be all right. I mean, gee whiz. It was, um, it was, it was ugly. But, yeah, you know, I, I think Clemson does a good job of that. And – I think it'll be interesting when you see Ohio State. I don't think they're going <clears> to <throat> – I don't see them running that kind of yards on Clemson defense. I just don't see that happening. And I, I see that <clears throat> – excuse me – that Brent is not going to just sit back there and let Justin just do what he wants to do. Mm -mm. He's going to give him some stress. He's going to disguise pretty well. And with a young offensive line that Ohio State is going to have, they're going to have some problems picking up things because Notre Dame is a good line and they have some problems picking up stuff. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Hey man, I know um, we got to get going out here. We, we can probably talk about this whole sugar bowl and probably talk about yes. the, uh, the Rose bowl also and, and break down both games, but obviously we gotta, we can't do that or, um, we may have people fall asleep on us because we'll be talking for two or three hours. So we don't want to do that to people, but uh, we do appreciate them out there listening, man. And again, buddy, I appreciate you and, and Merry Christmas again to you and your family, man. I hope you guys have a great holiday and uh, just, you know, all the good stuff that comes along with the holidays. Well, thank you, Will. I hope you have a great holiday as well. Really enjoy it. Try to, I don't know how much rest you're going to possibly get, but if you can get some, Make sure you get some. But, uh, yeah, I really enjoy what we do, man. You can tell that we have a passion for it and a love for it, and it comes across. And next time we tell you something, you need to take it to the bank. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's money. It is money.
It is, man. All right, LeVon, I'm going to let you get out of here, buddy. It's good talking to you, man. We'll, we'll see you next week. Uh, for LeVon Kirkland, I'm Will Vanderbilt. You've been listening to Inside Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland. Merry Christmas. We'll uh, talk to you guys next week on the radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.